Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 102 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I just got back for an amazing eight-day photography trip into southern Utah and northern Arizona with some of my favorite photographer friends. And this week's episode features two of those amazing photographers, uh, Michael Bolino, who you may recognize from episode six, and one of the coolest dudes on earth, Paul Bowman. We talk all about group photography road trips, their pros and cons, potential pitfalls, and things that you can avoid, and things that you can get out of experiencing those things for yourself. We relive some of our awesome adventures on the podcast. Over on Patreon this week, we shared some hilarious stories from the field from some of our adventures together. Definitely worth a good laugh for sure. So check that out. And uh, just a reminder, to celebrate the launch of episode 100, we have collaborated with some of our amazing guests on episode 100 to offer some incredible discounts of their tutorials and products to new and existing patrons of the podcast over on Patreon. You have until the end of April 2019 to sign up, and then the offer disappears. New and existing patrons will receive the following discounts. 20% off Alex Noriega processing tutorial videos. 20% off Michael Shanebloom processing videos. 20% off Eric Bennett instructional videos. 20% off Joshua Cripps photography tutorials. 20% off Sarah Marino and Ron Coscarosa nature photo guides ebooks. And 20% off Colleen Minix Perry's books and ebooks. To get these discounts, simply sign up as a patron of the podcast at the $5 a month or higher level before the end of April, and your discount codes will be revealed. Additionally, I want to remind you about one of our Patreon supporters. Danny LeFrancois, the incredible woman behind Banff Photo Workshop and Tours in the beautiful Canadian Rockies. I personally have really been wanting to go to Banff to photograph the incredible beauty of that amazing place. There's so much to see there. I personally would never take a workshop where I shared the attention of the leader with several other people, but I think the best way to get it is with one-on-one support from a local expert like Danny. Danny runs private one-on-one personalized workshops and photo tours where she will help you with everything you need to know, including composition, telling a visual story, and understanding understanding your camera settings. So check it out. Head over to BanffPhotoWorkshops.com to find out all the different options that Danny has to offer. Well, special thanks to our Patreon supporters and podcast producers. These incredible human beings contribute at the $20 a month level and higher over on Patreon. Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, Roger Nadell, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, Richard Wong, Kelly Buchelern and Matthew Boone. All right, let's get to the show. All right. Uh, well, 
Michael Bolino and Paul Bowman. Thanks for joining F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. You're more than welcome, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, what was that, episode six? Yeah, I think I was pretty early on, wasn't I? I think so, yeah. I think when you contacted me, I'm not even sure if you had your first episode out yet. I think that's true. And you're like, I'll take a risk on this guy. Oh, yeah, totally, of course, man. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, appreciate the invite, yeah. guys. Yeah, man. And uh, shit, we just uh, we just got back from uh, like eight days in the desert together. Yeah, I think I'm still recovering, man. I was so tired today. I was dragged <laughs> out. I know. It, wasn't, it was beautiful, though. Yeah, it was great. I didn't quite get that eight days, but uh, I caught the back nine with you guys, and it was uh, fantastic. Good run. Yeah, Paul. Paul, I think you hit the sweet spot. I think the trip got better as it went along. So I think you came right at the right time, dude. That, that usually happens when I roll in. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's true. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so yeah, so we what we started out near Hanksville and Factory Butte and then made our way down to Escalante and did a slot canyon without you, Paul. But then uh, you joined us up for some Perea and White Pocket and when we what we what we do after that we went down to uh, as well toro weep what a crazy adventure yeah it was like a almost like a greatest hits of southern utah dude i gotta say that that white pocket that's 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 some crazy stuff yeah it's always nice to revisit you know some old favorites and then try to uh um certainly pack in a few that you know just new places new shots new opportunities yeah absolutely yeah well, you you guys have been doing uh, these photo trips together like for like probably over a decade now, right? I think it was like um, I think Paul, you and I met maybe what two thousand twelve. I think two thousand thirteen, two thousand. That sounds about that sounds about right. Yeah, and so he and I, Paul and I, have done a bunch of trips around you know the Pacific Northwest. Both of us live in Portland here, Portland, Oregon, and. The last several years have gone on to the Southwest at least once a year. It's become like kind of like a ritual, like an annual spring ritual, which is super, super fun and always a really good time. Yeah. And this was my, my first foray into the group dynamics, which I've got to admit was uh, quite fun. I'm not going to lie. But this group of guys who goes is pretty, I mean, I, I laugh so much in these trips. I have no idea. Like my stomach will hurt, my ribs will get like, my stomach muscles will get tired. That's almost, it's almost like half the experience. I almost, I was for sure sitting on the sidelines for this trip. You know, as I think, I think up until the week before, I'm like, you know what? These guys are going to have me on a group thread. They're going to be sending me all kinds of crazy shit, good photos. I'm like, how am I going to mess out on that? I, I just can't do it. So had to uh dig deep and uh, make it happen yeah you 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 and your son drove like 20 hours overnight to join us in the middle of south utah (laughs) (laughs) that was classic what a grease fire (laughs) (laughs) it was that his son had just flown back from southeast asia and so he basically lands (laughs) repacks probably showers and eats and then repacks his gear and then hops in the car with his dad and then drives all night long. The dude was such a trooper. That's that's exactly what he did. I was like, are you jet lagged or car lagged? What's what's going on here? Just to make sure that he was good. But man, he uh 
I called him out of the bullpen in the bottom of the ninth after driving about <laughs> 14 hours. And I said, Hey, you got to come up with the dark one and get us there. And, uh, he did it. <laughs> he did it. I was, yeah. Well, what was that you were saying? Uh, Bellino is like a black dog in it. Like what is it? Like it's from a movie or something, right? I, I think it's a, it's a Bowman term. So Bowman has all these references to movies I've never seen. <laughs> But the more he says them and the more Jeremy Cram said them, like I completely understand the intent behind them, but they're they're so funny. <laughs> God. Is it Black Dog and Bowman? What is that? Yes. What is Black Dog exactly? It's from like an old uh Patrick Crazy movie. And I think I believe it was they were um they were truck drivers. And that was part of the deal is like, you know, half the time they're driving, they're just kind of you're you're not you're driving, but you're just kind of you know doing the chicken a little bit at the same time. Where you're you're drinking so much coffee, you're not sure if what's keeping you up is the caffeine or your stomach hurting from all the caffeine or a combination. Of the two. And you know you just that's that's just the way it is. So so you drove twenty hours to to take take some photographs and hang out with your with your boys like that i gotta admit like that is it that's quite the dedication yeah i i didn't really even think about it i mean i you know when when i finally said you know what um i kind of wanted to see my son when he'd gotten back from his asia trip he'd been gone for three months and so i didn't really feel right of him coming back and, and me being gone for a week and just about every spring, um, you know, on his school breaks from college and whatever, he's been able to, uh, to join us. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's kind of come, you know, a little bit a part of the team. And, uh, so, you know, he, he asked me before he even got back if we were doing the spring trip and I'm like, yeah, but we're, I told him what the dates were and he's, oh, I'm not going to be back till Tuesday. And then, you know, that's when I was being a little bit noncommittal with the trip this year. And I, Finally said, you know what? I'll just wait for you, and uh, you just you know hop off the plane, reload that bag, and just like uh, Michael said, get a shower, and uh, we'll be back at it. And that's how it went down. Nice. Well, I don't even think Michael took a shower before he left. He, he usually does. Oh, the whole trip? <laughs> I mean, just at all. You know, um, that was one trip where I did not actually make it into a shower to rinse off the. Thick layer of dirt, sweat, and grime. But, you know, then again, I don't smell, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it takes a lot for me to smell. I'm not sure what it is about me. I rarely use deodorant. I don't need to. Yeah, we, we, we've been meaning to talk to you about that. Yeah, that's, that's a, whole, a whole other podcast, buddy. <laughs> well, but, yeah. well, you know, tips for not stinking on the road trip. Do you, do you still have... Um, go through that process of not showering for a week prior to the road trip. So you can marinate a little bit for it. <laughs> so, so I can get used to my own stench. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I actually, no, no, no. I showered the first morning because we drove to twin falls and got a cheap hotel, whatever motel eight, whatever it is. And I took a shower that morning. So if a nine day trip, it took shower on day two. Well, hey, hang on a second. You took a shower on day one and stayed at a hotel. Technically day two. That's, that's not even day three or four <laughs> stuff, dude. That's like day five or six. 
when you say, hey, I'm going to catch the hotel, I'm going to reload, recalibrate, and re-engage this thing. That's not day two stuff, man. I'm a little disappointed right now. <laughs> I agree, man. It just wasn't an easy thing. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like going back to Kanab. It's like a shower. But also, like the day that I think Jeremy and, and Dustin took that shower, in my mind, I was thinking the next night, I'm driving home, and I'm going to take a shower then. So I was like, I'm not ripe. I have fresh clothes. I'm good to go. I kind of do the, you know, the, the truck stop bathroom, <laughs> you know, wash your face and everything else. And I was good to go. So, so what you're saying is, is you misplayed your shower card. Yeah. I did. That's because we stayed out an extra day. That's true. Yeah. That's exactly why. Well, so you guys have been taking these trips together for seven plus years. And I'm, I'm really curious, um, how, how does going on a group trip like this make you a better photographer? And I think the converse is true. Like, how does it make you a worse photographer? Yeah. Well, I mean, the obvious is one huge advantage to going on a trip with other photographers is that you discuss photography. And when you're in the field, you always talk about some sort of technical point. What would you do in this situation? Or like just by even watching people, you pick up little things. So I think the ability to kind of mm -hmm. learn in close proximity and discuss things um, is definitely one of the more valuable parts of going on a photography road trip with some friends who are also really good photographers. Um, that is a big, huge. I mean, especially like I think when you know, when we first started going out, even just locally in the Pacific Northwest, like there's a lot of just like give and take, give and take, give and take, and you get feedback and you discuss photography and you discuss technical things. And um, the feedback loop and the learning rate greatly increases. I mean, for me, seeing doing is the best way to learn. So reading online or listening to some sort of tutorial, whatever it may be. Like I'll learn something, but if I don't really, I'm not there practicing it or really seeing it in action, it doesn't sink in or I don't trust that as much, if that makes sense. The big advantage for me is um, uh, just learning from each other. What do you think, Paul? I that's Those are really good comments. Um, I, I think maybe for me, um, you know, there was, there was no better example than that last trip we just got off of. Um, we're all in white pocket, um, Bolino, um, Payne and Kibbins, you know, are out on the rocks, on the petrified dunes, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, the, the sky's improving from what it initially was. And I'm, I went back to camp and I'm just kind of hanging out in camp. I hadn't slept yet from that drive in. So I'm going on 35, 40 hours without sleeping. And uh, I think, I, no, I think I'd had a beer when we set up camp. And you know, I was just like in the mode. Of, I think I pulled out my chair and I was in the mode of, Hey, I'm just going to pull up my chair, maybe eat something, maybe have a beer and just take, you know, 30 minutes or whatever, um, or an hour, a couple hours. But then, you know, the folks that you've traveled with, you know, they're out there, uh, you see the sky improve and you're, and even when it started looking really good, I wasn't too interested in going back. I mean, I was like still had settled into, I'm kind of done for the night. But so I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, when, when you're with a group, 
you're a little bit more motivated to be out there with them shooting at the time um, rather than just kind of holding back and saying, hey, I'm going to catch this one from the sidelines. You know, and the same goes for in the morning. If I'm, if I'm on a trip by myself, it's summertime. You know, you get to bed at 11 or 12 after setting up your camp and you need to get up by four o'clock so you can hike for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or maybe a little bit more into a spot. It takes a lot of motivation to get up by yourself. But if, but if you're there with, you know, a group of folks, they're not letting you stay. They're, they're not keeping, they're not letting you stay behind. They're, they're like, Hey, it's time to go. Let's get this thing going. So for me, that really helps out a lot and gets me, uh, gets me motivated to get out there when other times I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd agree that motivational piece is huge with other people. Like I'm fairly motivated naturally just by myself when I'm out for photographing, especially if I'm way away from home, like Utah, where it takes a lot to get back to that location. And all it really takes is one person to say, hey, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, I'm going to go shoot. And I would say 95% of the time I'm in, no matter what. And if I'm by myself, I mean, it depends on the conditions, what the forecast holds and what everything looks like, but I'd be much less motivated unless it looks like it's just going to be a really fantastic, fantastic conditions in the morning. So definitely motivating each other is really good. Also, it's ideas like, you know, we all have our own research we do. We all know these different little nooks and crannies in the Northwest and Utah and, and Paul knows a lot about the Canadian Rockies. And uh, you learn a lot about different locations, which can be off the map. Um, prime example, I think, is that slot canyon we did. Like, I don't think I've ever heard or seen anyone else do a photo- like go down there for photography purposes yeah. at all. And even though it was a backup to the original canyon we wanted to go into, like it was a, it was a definitely a worthy place to go shoot. We got some really good conditions. And uh, I don't think there's very many people who have shot that, at least that I've seen. And that was me leaning on some knowledge base of other guys in the group who um, have just known about that spot. So I guess another advantage is just like you're, it's a meeting of the minds. You know, you just have all this information, all this research you've done. And it can lead you to some pretty cool spots for sure. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite things is like you said, just absorbing knowledge of other people, you know, talking about, you know, like how do you approach different scenes? What are some of your approaches for composition? How do you like, how do you approach this, this type of scene? I think those are the things that I personally get the most out of. And, and I don't know, I was, I think I was teaching you a little bit about some night photography, Bellino. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not a big, I mean, I don't do a lot of night photography, but it's something that I feel like, like I talked to you about, Matt, it's something I want to, I think night photography or twilight photography or Milky Way, what you want to do is something you should have in your wheelhouse, something you should be able to do technically. So you're going to teach me how to do star trails where you're stacking the exposures over a series of hours. Um, the post-processing side of things seem to be rather brutal. Yeah. And sort of cloning out like planes and all that crap. But, um, like there's no way since you had that knowledge base and you're like, hey, let's set it up outside camp. It's going to work. And we found a comp that would really work or I found a comp that would work. Um, it made a lot of sense to me to kind of like hear how you would do it and tell me and then post-processing how, what you need to do to actually stitch it all together and make it look clean. And so when you started talking about how clean that file could be, that's where I started being like, oh, this could be really curious, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, just, it's a shame my camera, whatever, it just didn't. The Nikon messed up somehow. Oh yeah, blame 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 the camera. <laughs> oh, blame the camera. Hey, you sure that was the camera, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know. It was the first time I tried it. I think the settings were good. Uh, I just, anyway, I just stopped after like 10 exposures. Uh, I will say I was the only one stupid enough to get up at 1.45 in the morning and go shoot White Pocket at night. That's right. You did. Dude. Yeah. At, at Toro Week, I mean, you, you, I think you stayed out there till the following day at sunset or sunrise. <laughs> Almost. It seemed like it. It was cold and windy and I was just like sleeping out on the edge like a crazy person. That was crazy. Well, the other thing you had in you, in you, Matt, is you said you had like three beers in you as well, which standing on the, that Toro Weep ledge with three beers in me, like that's that's kind of, uh, that's some guts right there, man. <laughs> that's the standard operating procedure. <laughs> so that was your weight holding you back, right? Exactly. That's how you stay, stay, that's how you stay crazy, stay in the moment. Well, what about, what about the inverse of that? What about, uh, how does, how does going on a group trip make you a worse photographer? Um, I don't think I'll ever make you a worse photographer, but I think there's some like pitfalls of a big group trip. And we had like, what, five, six people like, on the trip. I mean, it started out with maybe four. Yeah. And that grew to five or six. Um, when you have that many people in one location, you can definitely <clears throat> have to wait or, you know, for people to clear out of your composition, or maybe you want to step in a little bit and you want to be polite and allow them to finish what they're doing before you step in. Um, that would be the big pitfall for sure. Uh, for me, is just uh, just the space. So the slot canyon was a great example. We had to spread out. And you know, Matt, you had to wait a little bit for people in front of you to finish with that nice glow. And so you probably, yeah, you got hosed because we didn't know how long the glow was going to last. And I think all of us are being considerate of not just sitting there really going to town and taking 15,000 compositions and exposures from one spot. But even with us kind of deliberately moving through the sections of glow to allow people behind us to go through, I mean, you probably got the back end of that because of just being in a large group. So you may have missed, the, I think you probably got something pretty good, but the prime conditions of the glow, you probably missed just waiting for other right. people to get out of the way. But a place like White Pocket, you can spread out. There's so much there. That place, it's my second time there, and there's so much you can do. It is incredible. Weeks. It's so photographed, but you can find so much stuff there. It's incredible, especially on the intimate side of things and the abstract thought side of things. There is so much to work with at that location. Yeah, I, I feel like I used every single lens when I was there. Like It was mind-blowing. What about you, Bowman? I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think when planning the trip, part of the, you know, the discussion needs to be, you know, how many how many people are going to be in this group? Like, like this thing, you know, over the last week. I mean, there were five of you guys, and then we showed up, so that's a total of seven people. Now, if you're going to take those seven people into that slot can canyon that you guys hit, that's that's not a good deal. I mean, that's just that's good. A lot of people are going to be doing nothing or you're going to be hurrying your composition. I mean, it just can be really bad, but to your guys's point, um, you know, you get to a place like white pocket or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I saw you guys most of the day after we got there until the end of the night, you know, but you, you can literally go hours without seeing anybody in your group. Um, not yeah. to mention, you know, a couple of them were probably passed out in the back of their four. They could have been hurt. Or something. <laughs> maybe they were shooting, maybe they weren't. Who knows? But I also think, yeah. I think I think one of the hardest parts is um, 
coming to an agreement on where everyone wants to go. And I I think we had maybe two or three times where we had a plan and then we had to change the plan because a road was closed or because weather conditions or because of some other variable. And it, I think the more people you add to a group, the harder it is to get consensus. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I was actually going to, going to mention that as well. That in itself is probably the most difficult. Wouldn't you say, Mike? Yeah. Especially in a larger group, because the thing is like on a nine day road trip or whatever is eight day road trip, you can't plan that thing out. You can plan the first two days based upon the weather forecast, but then things change or road conditions bad or the slot candy has too much water in it. <clears throat> you need to change. Right. And so then it goes back to the drawing board and building that consensus in a group that large, there's going to be one, two, maybe three photographers who don't really go to a location, which is maybe particularly um, exciting to them. And so there's a lot of compromises, a lot of flexibility that's required to be, to function in the group. And for overall, I think we do a really good job. I agree. Although we all express our opinions as well, which is good. There's not too many people who take a back seat and say, I'll just do whatever you guys want to do. But overall, we do a pretty good job of, of, um, compromising and reacting to weather forecasts, reacting to things beyond our control, like roads or water. Yeah. Um, I do want to put one more thing. It's a downside of big group photography. And this is more of me as a person, like just personality wise is when like, I like to just be in a zone when I'm out photographing and, uh, I found it harder to be, to get into that space, that mindset when I'm around a lot of other people. Yeah. And, it, you know, so I feel like sometimes when I notice a difference photographing by myself, the type of internal like mindset you have compared to when you're with a, um, especially larger numbers of people, maybe one of the person's not a big deal, but once you get into like five or six in close proximity, I have a hard time really getting into that fully absorbed mindset, which I think is required in some ways to, for me, to um, really dial on images and really react to what's presented to me. So that's another maybe just a downside to a larger group. And for me, it's not a big deal. That's a trade-off you make. You know, I'd rather be with my buddies or my friends out in the field than be in the same location by myself. But something I think I want to point out as well is, is um, maybe a ding against a large group or a larger group uh, trip. That was a good recovery there you had at the end. I was about to get sensitive on I was about to call you out by name, but I, I kind of pulled my punch there, dude. Paul Berman always wants to talk my ear off, and I can't get into my correct headspace. That's, right. That's right. Yeah, I have the same problem. I, I I have a hard time getting into whatever. I don't know if if I would call it a zone or whatever, but you know, just when you have other people around, it's hard to kind of concentrate on kind of you know seeing seeing really the full picture of what you're being presented. Um, but on the flip side of that, you're, you can also, when you're other with other people, you can see things that you normally wouldn't see. So I feel like it's a, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, it kind of shades you too, right? So you're using a like a telephoto, and somebody has their wide on. You're being like, so what do they got? Right. What are they not seeing? Or vice versa, right? You have your wide on. They have a telephoto. You're like, ooh, there's probably something good I'm not seeing, <clears throat> and that's not, not not necessarily a good thing. So the ability to trust your own intuition when you see other people doing other things, especially when conditions are going off, like it did a white pocket, <clears throat> that's like an internal dialogue that um, 
occurs as well. And I just go back to just trusting your own intuition, like what you think feels right, even if someone else is using a tele, telephoto, another guy's using his mid-range Zoom. Um, it's, it's just tuning that stuff out. What are other people doing? Take a look, but like trust your own gut, your own instincts. Yeah, it's funny because uh, uh, I went to, I guess, my instincts because, you know, when that light started shifting, it was pretty fast how it shifted. And, right. and uh, I don't know, my instinct was, oh, I need to get up high. Like I'm used to climbing mountains. I need to get up high and shoot this wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I did, <laughs> you know? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had my wide on when it went off. And I thought it was going to last just briefly. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to switch my mid telephoto, my mid zoom. And uh, I so wish I did. I know. Because there's a comp that I had found that would have worked perfectly. And so even though I think I got something good that night, in the back of my mind, I know there's a composition which would be better right. if I had taken the 30 seconds to switch lenses. Right. But uh, but that light, that light was pretty special. That's like, it was 360. It was unbelievable. The cloud formations are amazing. Um, it was probably a top 10 sunset I've seen in my lifetime. Well, f- photographing yeah, the sunset at least. Special. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. It was bonkers. It was glowing, <laughs> the whole ground. Yeah, the whole sky was just on fire. It was just ridiculous. All right, Bowman, I got a, a question for you, and then you can, you can shift into... Yeah. Bolino. So when you're on these big group trips, how do you balance the desire to do your own thing with the need to stay together? Because I know we had a couple of moments um, where we had to do that. And I don't know, for me, it's it's hard to decide, like, do I want to stick with my friends or do I want to kind of go off and do my own thing? And I, I personally, I did both. So what do you, how do you guys approach that? You know, it just, I mean, it just depends. I mean, if, if you're you know, in a single car, yeah, you're certainly everyone's going to stick together and, and do that whole thing. But you know, when you start introducing more vehicles, and you know, just like we we you know, I think we did on, I think it was Friday. You know, we're all kind of thinking we're heading to the same spot, and you know, you you and Bellino and uh, myself and Connor, we just broke off and. You know, I think there, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think you know if you see something that you want to shoot or you have a different idea of something you want to shoot, and, and maybe you started the road trip together. But I, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with you know branching off every once in a while if, if you have to do that. And then you know if it works out, you know reconnect you know later on that day at you know the, the spot that you pre-discussed or or even you know the following day. Sometimes it's just. You know, I, th- I think it's I think it's a balance. I think is you know you can do some stuff with the group, and I think you can break off and, and do your own thing as well. And what do you think, Mike? In a group this large, like I know there's some there's a discussion about like it's all stay together, same locations, but I kind of also thought in a group this large, if two people were like, hey, I don't want to go tour a week, I want to go here, you know, they can break off and go wherever else they want to go to, instead of sticking together. For sure, but we all stuck together, which in the end, like we kind of broke off a little bit, then we stuck together for the main uh, locations. But in the location itself, like um, I think we do a good job of spreading out, though. It's something we really do, like at White Pocket or Caneville, or I think we all kind of spread out and we all give each other space. Maybe like two people here, two people, people there. 
but it's not like we're all like walking around as a big group of six or seven people, like just finding stuff together. That would be really hard and probably very counterproductive. I think we would all not produce and not really enjoy the photography aspect of the trip as much if we did that. So, um, yeah, I think we've been doing this a long time. So I feel like we have a pretty good rhythm in terms of how we break apart and how we come back together and things like that. Yeah. I was just going to say that was, that was a really good point about how, you know, whenever we land, wherever we land, yeah, we just kind of all just have different thought processes in mind, different images, and we all kind of go split up and, and do our own thing. Yeah. I think for me, like, I think the balance is not necessarily the hard part. I think the hard part is making sure that you communicate with the group to make sure that you're all on the same page about what you're going to do. So if, if two people want to go off and do their own thing, like just make sure you communicate that and talk about how you're going to, how it's going to work so that you can figure out what you're going to do next, or if you're going to meet back up or, or whatever, or, or maybe it's just a matter of saying, Hey, we want to go do this. And maybe the other people in the group didn't even think, think of that. And they might want to do that too. I think it's just good to focus on over communicating, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good comment as well. It's just, I mean, because it's when you're on a trip like that, it's it's pretty dynamic. I mean, everyone has, you know, 10, 15, 20 different locations in mind. You've talked about 75 of those locations over rapid fire text, email, you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff. And so everyone has a little something different. And, and you know, that's okay. Um, and it's just, you know, recalibrating if if you know the weather's not looking good in one area you know the problem you guys have with you know the, the canyon being flooded and you know billing being willing to step back and come to another agreement of what's the replacement spot or, or thoughts on a replacement spot yeah i think the other thing that gets challenging too is finding that right balance of of making quick decisions and making good decisions because I think oftentimes it's easy to to get bogged down and, and like think too much about a decision, but it's also easy to rush the decision and make the wrong decision. And I think at least on this last trip we did, I, I can think of examples of how we did both of those things. <laughs> Decision-making as a group can be challenging. And even like timing-wise, it can be challenging. Some of us move faster than others. Some people pack up faster than others. Um, some people drive faster than others. I mean, and trying to kind of like be respectful of everyone, everyone else's um, experience and making sure that you're doing your part to um, get your stuff together and get out of camp so you can get on the road in time to go catch sunset or get out of camp to get sunrise or whatever it may be. So um, it's important to be, I mean, there's big groups. You got to be really considerate of other people around you and just always kind of monitoring where you are in terms of like, okay, am I, am I cooking now? Am I packing up? What's the, what's the group doing right now? Um, just because, you know, really in photography, it could be a matter of minutes. If you're late by minutes, that could be, that could be a big deal. And it really stinks and sucks to have put a lot of effort into doing something just to miss it by five, 10 minutes, you know, or not have enough time to be on the ground to kind of find something like compositionally good to then use when the conditions, you know, appear like the prime, the, the optimum conditions appear. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there is everyone on the same page when it comes to? Did they fuel up at the last spot? Did they 
do they do they yeah. need you know ice for their cool or do they need some type of food because we're going to be off you know the grid for three days i mean there's just so many different things to consider so you know it could be a situation where you're trying to get somewhere by a certain time and you got to make you know three four stops before you get there and we know how those stops go. You're at a stop and you're second guessing where you're heading and what your other options were. And it just is really clunky sometimes. Yeah. yeah it's funny. Uh, when we were driving, uh, I think a lot of the times you, Michael, you and me, we were kind of near the back, kind of making sure that the last person was still caught up with us. But I remember one day where we were in the front and we found ourselves in a little bit of a role reversal and when we were at the very back, we were always like, come on, man, slow down. And when we were at the front, we were like, come on, hurry up. So it's it's funny how when your role changes, you you have a different perspective too. That's so true. That is, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I should say like, this is probably the biggest trip I've been on. The seven people went, like usually it's like four or five, which is definitely more manageable. Um Right. It makes things more streamlined. It makes things more easy in terms of decision-making and reacting to conditions and also just agreeing upon where to go and what to do next, for sure. Um, but you're also responsible for each other, right? So if, someone's, if we're driving way far ahead and we look in our rear view and we're like, it's a 60-mile dirt road and you're looking from a like a top of a hill and you see no one, in your brain, you're like, do they get a flat? Do they break down? Do I need to go back? You know, there's all these considerations you have to have when you're with a group, of course. So there's just a lot of logistics and planning and, and reacting. And, and um, it's all for the sake of having fun and exploring new areas and getting some photographs in the process. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it takes work. It's, a, it's work. It is. It's fun work, but it's work. Yeah. It's no, wonder, it's no wonder people charge money. It's no wonder people charge money for a big workshop. Yeah, I mean, you're managing each other's personality when you're tired. You're managing your own state of mind. You're managing, like Paul said, your ice level, your food level, your gas level. Your your, sh- like that's probably one reason I didn't take a shower. It's just like I don't need to take a shower. <laughs> that's okay. debatable. I, you know, I'm not sure if I was thinking you guys out, but I wasn't making myself gag. So I think that's the litmus test for me. But there's all these things, and you know, you just got to keep it together. And and uh, you could have. You could have reloaded your deodorant, though, Mike. <laughs> hey, I, I brought deodorant. I used it once. Man, that's amazing. That's how squeaky clean I am. Pay attention to that a little bit more next time. I'll give you some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you will. Hey, you can do a little sniff check. If I'm wondering, I'll say, hey, Paul, come over here. Hey, well, I just have to do a little sniff check, and I think uh, you'll you'll be my like canary. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like top. It'll be like Top Gun when he goes, "Hey, Maverick." you stink so so having having done a bunch of these trips together what do you think the best way is to uh to coordinate gear and locations you know it just it's kind of starts out on a text thread with three four five different people on it maybe sometimes even more in the group and scope narrows itself down just because folks you know fall out or you know go to which I do often. I'll go to the settings and just turn that thing off. You know, this last forty text messages, but I still like I, I still feel like I didn't miss a thing when I open it up. But it's just a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and every once in a while, you, you're exchanging ideas and thoughts and locations, and then someone goes on a terror and drops, 
you know, 75 gifts on the thread. The wheels just completely come off the machine and you're like, okay, I'm checking out for today. I'm going to, I'll check back in a couple of days to see if the uh, narrative has changed a little bit. And it, that's kind of what it does. It takes, uh, I think, I think Bellino has to say, Hey, you guys, we're leaving tomorrow. We still haven't decided what our first stop is. And then you kind of reel in stuff a little bit and, and get a little bit more serious. So I, I think the difficult part is, is maybe that. And then you also want to be a little bit nimble when you're on the road, depending on weather and, you know, everything else, everything else that could pop up. I was going to say one of the things that I noticed and maybe, maybe I'm just not paying attention, but it didn't really seem like there was a group leader. It seemed like, you know, kind of decisions happened as a group, which I think also has some pros and cons. I mean, I'm used, I feel like if there's a specific group leader who's identified to kind of, you know, take note of what all the different ideas are and then kind of drive, you know, drive consensus. I feel like sometimes that can help, but in our, in our case, it didn't seem like there was anyone who was doing that. So it made for an interesting dynamic. Absolutely. You know, and in fact, it's the opposite. There were certain people throughout that eight day period who were like, I feel like that person is just trying to drive where we go and they're kind of taking over. And so instead of like having a leader, like actually there's some resentment for anyone who was like, playing down a location or really lobbying for a location. We're pretty just like, again, like the whole idea of being flexible. And I, I think it works only because as annoying as it was, I think texting is the absolute worst way to figure out locations with a bigger group like that. But we all knew that these are the possibilities and we could plan for the first two days. We knew Bowman was going to meet us at some point. And those are the only two things we can really rely on. The first two days and the day we meet Bowman. And beyond that, it's all about checking weather forecasts and reacting to what's given. So I think what helped is that we all knew that all these locations we went to were on the docket, that there's a possibility. And even though it may disappoint one or two people, being a part of a group like that, you have to compromise and, and just take it, take it for the team, really. Yeah. I think like a, in that situation where like, you know, I don't get much time off to go on these trips. If someone was just dominating it with like, we're going to need to go here, I'm going to make the decision. That wouldn't really fly with me, I don't think. And I would never put myself in that position because I know that would be uh, making other people not very pleased, I think. Just, just one more thing, like, you know, it's, you know, the whole idea of a road trip, like, I think all of us have done road trips in one shape or form for years. Like, Going back to my freshman year in college, I started doing road trips. So I feel like we all have a lot of experience, even before we all got together to go on these photography road trips. It's kind of like a time-honored tradition is, is the American road trip. You get in your car, you drive for 20 hours, you land in Colorado. You do these hikes, you get you hang out with your friends, you have fun. It's something you just, as you get more experience with it, you kind of know how to kind of navigate all the like pitfalls of group dynamics. And I think it kind of mm -hmm. shows that all of us are pretty pretty adept at that. And so be, I think it might be really hard to go on a road trip, like an extended road trip with someone who's really kind of new to the game um, because they might not be really as that flexible and that knowledgeable and that um, maybe even considerate of the whole group as a whole. Oh, is that, is that your, is that your subtle way of telling me that I failed? Hey, no. Hey. Is that your first road trip? Dude, how can you climb 100 mountains in Colorado and not go on a road trip? <laughs> I'm, dude? Just, I'm, sure you've gone on I'm just playing with you. <laughs> oh, you roll. Actually, it's so funny because, because Matt, you know, like when we're tired and we're around camp and start with a fire, we get a little bit 
we get pretty, pretty like there's no rules basically. We kind of the things we talk about and do, um, it is so funny. And actually, I was kind of worried about your take on that. <laughs> like you guys might think, like, what are these, these guys are just going crazy? Like, holy cow! <laughs> I like. But you stepped in. That's a really good question, Mike. Yeah. So Matt, Honestly, Matt may think we're like the most juvenile, immature guys, but really it's just us being together, kind of letting loose and like having a few beers around the campfire. In fact, you know, Paul's son is, he was 21, I think the first year that he went the trip with me together. And I think we're driving back to Portland. And I was like, Hey Connor, how's it feel to be the most mature guy in the whole trip? <laughs> and he's like 21. We're all like 40 year old men. You know? <laughs> um, That's so funny. It is. We have a good time. It's it's like I said, we laugh so much. It's it's insane. No, it's funny when I'm when I'm on trips like this with other people that I do trips with regularly, I'm usually one of the only ones who who acts that way, like super immature. So it was good to be around people who are also just like, you know what? We're a bunch of dudes in the desert. Like who cares? Let's just have fun. I'm uh, I was really interested to hear that. And that's that's pretty cool. You fit right in. <laughs> Well, dude, I went to school. I learned how to fit right in. I'm a chameleon. I like it. Keep your bag packed. We may have to. <laughs> we may have to dispatch at a moment's notice. That's right. I got my I got my bag packed. I'm ready to roll at any time. I like it. Oh, that's funny. So, when you're on a trip like this, is it is it more about getting good photos, or is it more about spending quality time with your friends? I think ideally. I mean, what motivates you to, you know, get in the car and, and, and all the planning and all that to begin with is, hey, these are the places I want to go. This is the adventure I want to have. This is what I want to explore and, and, and take some photos of. But it's also, um, you know, I think equally as important um, is to, you know, have that camaraderie with the group that you're with or the folks that you're with and um, don't let just that photography uh, in my opinion I don't want the photography to be, be before maybe the exploring and adventure piece you know because maybe there's some places we go where I mean I now I may not even pull out my camera I'll pull out my iPhone you know maybe do a video or a photo or whatever but it's just a really cool spot to be really a great experience to have. And you, you've got your, um, you get your squad there with you and, you know, it's just great. Maybe the campground is just absolutely phenomenal and remote. And maybe that's the best thing about the location because that's happened. I mean, that happened on a trip last year where we landed in, in out in Nevada and photographically wise, I didn't pull out my camera once. We stayed there for two days but I videoed a lot of cool stuff and took some, you know, some stills of, you know, the group, the camp, whatever. But the campground was absolutely phenomenal. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> it goes back to just um, primarily it's the experience of going to these places and hanging out with your friends. Um, and then close second is the photographic uh, part of the trip. Um, and again, it goes into the whole idea of like, just because something is interesting and beautiful and awesome doesn't necessarily mean there's a photograph there. So I think the location you were talking about, Paul, I think we both felt the same way. I thought it was really amazing to be there and all those different formations from the rock. The campsite was amazing, but um, photographically it was hard. But if you put the photograph 
the camera back in the back and just experience the place for what it is. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Um, for me, these trips are definitely kind of like a split. Like it's pretty even, even. I would definitely say being there with friends, having fun, having some adventures, seeing some new things, being in kind of a wild natural area is definitely the primary reason, but photography is not too far behind. But then again, I'm never the type of person who puts a lot of pressure on themselves to come away with a stack of images. It's just what I get, I get. And I probably put myself or the group into positions to kind of get some good stuff. But um, if I go three days, I'm like, I don't really get anything. I'm not going to be bummed. I'm not going to get like all pissy at people. Like we went to the wrong places. It's just part of the experience. So um, again, like the final image is one thing, but the experience of being in those locations, going to those locations and experiencing them firsthand is primarily the the goal. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, for a lot of us, I think that's why we got into photography to begin with, right? Like we're experiencing these amazing places and and the photography became an extension of those experiences. And I, I, I'm totally with you, you know, when there was a period of time, probably 2013, 2014, where I was way more focused on the, the photograph than I was the experience. And I think the my photography suffered as a result. And I think since I've personally put more emphasis on the experience and spending time with friends and with people that I enjoy, you know, the photography that comes out of that, I feel like is a lot of higher quality. Mm-hmm. And it's from, it's probably, it's probably from a better place too. That's, that's really, that's a really good way to look at it. And I, I've kind of had the same development over the last three, four years where it's, you know, I would be pretty bummed if I went on a trip for a week or two weeks and didn't come back with a nice collection of images. But now it's like it's it's completely secondary. Where yeah, I'll get some, I'll get you know, hopefully a few good shots out of a trip. But I mean, I'm going to have at least you know a week of solid, you know, laughing, having a good time, sharing experiences, sitting around the campfire until whenever you know it's just uh it really enhances the experience yep i agree i mean that for me it's i don't know like i'm the more i listen to you guys talk about it the more i feel like that is the experience right and the photography is just an extension of that experience for me anyway i don't know yeah and that's kind of like how you know i've met you and i have talked about how i got into photography it's very similar to yours it's through uh backpacking road tripping, traveling, and climbing. I mean, and those are all about the experience, right? And through having those experiences, you pick up a camera at some point along the way and you learn how to take photos. And then the photography comes along based upon those personal experiences. So this whole concept of a road trip for photography, the call of photographic road trip is true, but really it's not a photographic road trip. It's a road trip to go experience amazing places. And you have camera in hand with technical know-how and hopefully a little bit of talent to bring back an image which represents that experience, right? And that's the whole goal. Right. Yep. Right. So speaking of an experience, I was hoping to spend a couple of minutes to talk about uh, our own personal views on post-processing. 
Michael, I know you and I talked a lot about this on our on this trip because you got to spend a lot of time in my car um, as we were traveling between different locations and and I I really enjoyed kind of your kind of I would say not black and white perspective on post processing that I think is fairly unique in this day and age of digital manipulation versus purism and I kind of first I wanted to maybe let you explain kind of what your philosophy and approach is to post processing. And maybe, uh, Paul, if you want to kind of maybe chime in to, because I think you might have a different approach, but I'm curious, we didn't really spend much time talking about it. So, um, Mike, why don't you go first? Um, Yeah, you know, this topic is, you know, it's been rehashed and rehashed for a long, long time, like how post-processing relates to photography and, and where that line between photography or digital art exists, if it does exist. Um, and I think what we talked about in the car is that, and, you know, really it boils down to the experience. Like, did I experience these elements in this location together? Does this photograph represent an experience? And my personal belief, belief um, something I truly hold to and, and believe is that photography can be defined that it's based upon an experience. And that spans the entire spectrum from photojournalism through um, photographs which have a lot of digital um, techniques such as like you know light painting and color painting and things like that as long as those elements were there um, that you experience that someone else can walk into that same area and experience those elements together um, that's where I pushed the line put the line between photography and digital art and what for me that means is that you can take, a raw file or a series of raw files. You can do time blends. You can do focus stacking. You can do exposure blends. All those techniques, put them together on your computer. Then you can use all these very creative, like, you know, like I said, light painting and brushing and all this different stuff. And if those elements work together in the field, that's still photography. And that leaves the viewer to decide if they appreciate the way you render that, that experience. If it's too much, if it's too gaudy, or if it's just too straight and clean and so on. Um, for me, and I will speak for me because I know people get upset. They call people elitists and they call people um, snobs. But for me, if you were import, import a sky or a Milky Way or some other major compositional element, that was not experienceable. No one can experience that at all. So that's for me where the line is. And again, I don't go trying to preach about this. This is just for me where I found my line to be. If anyone goes to my website, you'll see that I do like to do Photoshop. And there are probably two images where I feel like I've always questioned if this is truly a representation of the experience or is this me maybe taking it like a step too far? I think you and I talked about those images as well. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, like again, for the, re- the reason I got into photography is through backpacking, climbing, traveling. Those are all very experience-oriented pursuits. So for mm-hmm. me to take a photograph and say, hey, this guy's in Montana, this the, the, the landscapes in Oregon, you know, the sky was boring in Oregon, I'm just gonna take this, this sky from Montana and paste it in. It to me, for my own personal take, that's kind of like it's a betrayal to me in terms of how I view going into these locations and how I view photography. And in some sort, like how I view wine to kind of like where I want photography to go. 
So I do think mm -hmm. for me, I know people are going to disagree and people are going to think I'm a snob or an elitist, but I'm not, that there is a line that can be crossed, but it may vary between photographer to photographer to photographer. Yeah, absolutely. I think I explained that pretty well. Um, and again, if you have a different opinion, I'm going to value and honor your opinion and, um, and just discuss why I think something is the way it is or my belief is the way it is. And hopefully I can listen to your explanation and, and just reach a point of mutual respect. Well, before we uh, allow uh, Paul to chime in, I, I one thing that you had uh, said to me that resonated, at least in my view, was um, this idea that, that, that photography has power. And I was hoping you could speak a little bit to what that power is and how um, deviating from that experiential line crossing idea um, violates that power or diminishes that power. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. So even though we know there's this common phrase of, was it Photoshopped? That there's some amount of skepticism in the viewing public, especially the viewing public who are not photographers, that they are approaching photography more and more and more as a skeptical viewer. And I, I, my personal feeling is that's actually not a good trend because photography, especially nature and landscape photography has been used for decades or more to promote the conservation of these areas. And the general public views every single photograph, especially landscape photography, which could be pretty fantastical looking with absolute skepticism says that probably didn't exist then the power of that photograph and landscape photography as a whole will be diminished. Um, because my this is not true for all viewers and all print purchasers or whoever it may be, but my view, when people see a fantastic image, which is nicely composed with fantastic conditions and, and presented um, with some elegance, um, um, that is going to, the reason why people resonate with that is because they truly think that some way they will, can also go to that same location and experience it. Now, I know there's lots of technical things. You don't experience things at 14 millimeters. You don't experience things at 200 millimeters. There's all those different things. But if you went to that location, I would expect to see these elements together. A sky, of course, is very, you know, it changes all the time. But that tree, that rock, that mountain, that creek, those flowers can be there together in that moment. And so you won't be disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just a little leery of us, this whole idea of it's my art. I can do whatever I want. I, I understand that to a large degree. But whenever I hear that statement, I have this natural visceral reaction, like it just kind of makes me cringe. Like um, it's an easy argument to make to give you the liberty to do things, which um, um Anyway, I'm trying to this, I guess. That to do <laughs> maybe outside my comfort zone for what photography is. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't do those things. And there's a whole big argument I think you went into in a, um, with, with Aaron and Alex about, you know, how do people divulge this information of, of composites and stuff like that. But I don't worry about that. I worry about where my line is. And um, I try to, I do abide by that. And again, like, to me, if I were to be disappointed by a lack of good conditions in a location, even like a location which is hard to get to, I could never slap in a fake sky from three states away just to make it a compelling image. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a betrayal of my experience. That's a betrayal of where I want photography to go. Um, and I guess that's where I stand. And if you just if people out there disagree, I I totally respect that. Well, what about for you, Paul? What what's kind of what's your approach to 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 that whole idea? First off, you're such an elitist, Mike. I'm kidding. I'm I'm busting you. No, I I you know what's what's interesting about that is I share um, you know a lot of similarities there because I don't know it's hard to um, really have a connection with an image if it's something I, I don't know I just when I'm there and I'm on the scene and I'm and all those elements are there and they represent themselves and and you've captured it I mean you kind of walk away with you know a connection with that once you once you're finished and if it's something that you've you had to Frankenstein a little bit for lack of a better term. I mean, mm-hmm. how connected are you to that? So, yeah, I'm, I, I, I share a lot of the uh, similar thoughts yeah. as you do on that. Yeah, what's interesting, Matt, is I feel like just discussing things with you. And, Paul, I'm, were you done, Paul? Hope I didn't cut you off. Yes, no, you're totally fine. Is your eye for picking out maybe things that might be not completely, <laughs> which may be a composite, I should say, or is probably more refined than I? So in some ways, I feel like I'm a little bit more naive in terms of looking at photography and saying that was never something that someone can experience or that sky was imported or that light doesn't match up. Like, it's just funny how like you were, you, I think you're more, you have a better eye of like picking apart things than I do. And I think it just goes back to the fact that I know where I stand. I know what I want, know, I know where I want to do and what I don't want to do. And I kind of um, leave it there. But if people ask I'm going to express that opinion. Like another thing I hear in this photography world online is like, it's kind of hard to have an opinion. Like people can't share an opinion about these things without being shouted down. I think it's also a very dangerous thing because um, I think it's just the times we live in where people's opinions are like always viewed with like this contempt. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, uh, one of the things I always kind of compare it to is, if you look at all the other art forms, you know, music, uh, painting, uh, sculpture, you know, you don't, you don't typically hear a lot other artists say like, Oh, well, I don't, I don't think that that particular, uh, technique should be allowed or whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. the, you know, they might say something like, well, I don't really like that person's music, but they're a great musician. You know, like, whereas in photography, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people, for some reason, tend to internalize it a bit more. If someone is, says, well, I don't appreciate that you did these digital manipulations. And then they, some, they get offended, like, oh, well, that's my art. And how dare you offend me? I don't ever hear musicians say, well, you're offending me because that's my music and I can do whatever I want. You know, I, I don't know. It's just weird. If maybe I'm maybe I don't hang out with many musicians, but uh, I guess to your point about the whole art thing and importing skies and compositing, you know, if the sky and everything like that um, was there and they didn't feel the need to change the scene or composite it or whatever, uh, and they didn't, um, is that still art? You know, is it? It's just a to your point. I think it's an easy cop out that people use to justify behavior that is not rooted in artistry, but is rooted in other, um, it's rooted in, you know, 
other base needs that we have as humans, such as fulfilling our ego or getting likes on social media or getting comments or wanting to feel good about ourselves or wanting to sell workshops or selling post-processing videos. I feel like it's not really art that motivates a lot of this stuff that we're seeing. Although I will say there are a lot of this stuff that we see is great art. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Like people can composite really well are very talented. Absolutely. Like they still they got the technical chops to capture. They got the compositional eye to kind of figure out how things are going to get together. There's a guy on Instagram. I think his name is um, Benjamin yeah. or Behemin, like a one name guy. And his stuff is, I think much of it is composited. It is beautiful because it's so creative and unique. He's not just dropping in a milky way. Like he's taking these, landforms and he's presenting them in a very intriguing and captivating way and and he's also apparently pretty straightforward with it as well um but i love his work the guy has so much talent in his in his in his person um so i'm not against compositing and i don't want to like try to define things really but like um for me just going back to where i see things and what i want to do i do see a distinction um, and again, because I came into this art form through the avenue of experience, and then if other people came in through a different avenue, um, then they may not be so um, married to the idea of it has to be something experienced. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I um, I think that may you may be onto something in terms of why some people have a different kind of view of what's acceptable and other people, if maybe they didn't come through it, through experience, maybe that's not as important to them, which is totally fine. Hey, off the topic a little bit, have you noticed a trend of how people get into photography? Like, of course, the most common is people who love to just be outside in nature, but there's so many musicians who are photographers and there's so many tech people who are photographers. That's so Have you ever noticed that before? Yeah. I've... Like, I, I can't tell you how many photographers come into my house and they see a guitar and they pick it up and start just, just wailing. I'm like, holy crap. You're also like a really good guitar. It's like, like, it's just this amazing coincidence. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but like I've had like five or six guys come into my house or girls and just pick up a guitar and start playing. And like, you can tell they played a lot. Yeah. I've noticed um, a lot of people that have been on the podcast are either former engineers or um, IT or tech people who, mm-hmm. who got into photography because it was a creative release because their, you know, their day job was so technical that they needed something to like work the other side of their brain. Yeah. Totally makes sense. That makes sense. Well, all right, cool. So guys, uh, I got one more question for you. And, uh, my question is who would you love to hear on the podcast? I would like, I think we talked about this. I love to hear art, art wolf. Like since way back in the nineties, he's always been for me, a really not only a legendary Pacific Northwest photographer, but a guy who really kind of pointed the way forward in terms of landscape photography. And then again, wildlife photography and travel photography is so diverse and multifaceted and talented. It's insane. And, um, very, I saw him speak once and like, (laughs) I think he's, he's, he's obviously a very well-developed thinker around photography. Um, and another name that came to my brain was David Cobb, who lives out in Mosier, Oregon, who's part of the Cascadia Photography Alliance or group, whatever that is. Photo, Photo Cascadia, yeah, Photo that's Cascadia. what it is, sorry. Photo Cascadia. 
yeah. like we bump into him for some reason a bunch of times but um he has a lot of great stories he's a great photographer very well experienced he's an established photographer i think he'd be really interesting to listen to as well that's a good one awesome do you have have any anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast bowman hey have you had scott crams on oh that, that would be great yeah I, I think i think he'd be a really good one i think you know specifically targeting maybe his um his uh, project he had last year in the cascades and kind of kind of you know some of the dialogue behind that he's he's a mountain climber first right he's been the photography kind of followed and i think he'd be a, a really good one to have on yeah that's yeah that's a great recommendation bowman that's seriously a good one and along the same kind of genre is jason hummel oh yeah who is oh that dude yeah. knows the cascade range probably better than anyone that i'm aware of and maybe only second to fred becky this guy has done so many trips over the last couple of decades in the Cascade Range and skied some insane peaks. And he also has very good chops with the camera as well. So Jason Hummel would be a fantastic, either one of those two guys, Scott Kranz or Jason Hummel would be fantastic. But I'm sure both have great stories about being way deep in the mountains and using photography to capture their experiences and, and also just the stories behind those things. Awesome. Those trips. Nice. Well, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure spending another hour with you after our incredible trip to the Southwest. Yeah, well, thanks for having us on, man. I wish we could have done this actually out in the field. Um, you- I know, it was like every day we were out there, I was like, hey guys, we're going to do a podcast tonight. And then like, I think one night we were all just too tired or like maybe drinking too much or having too much fun. And then another night... I decided to go shoot star trails over uh, stupid Grand Canyon, which I don't regret, <laughs> and it just never quite worked out. But I was like, "Dude, we gotta, we gotta record a podcast. So can we please just yeah. do it?" So thanks for, thanks for agreeing to come back. Yeah, it was fun, dude. It was really fun. <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Yeah, appreciate it. It's kind of nice to, you know, relive some parts of the trip and you know talk about uh, about some of the other stuff that went along. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to maybe do another one about uh, our experience in that slot canyon, Bowman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that you could live it through us. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to uh, hear some more details on that one. Uh, <laughs> all right, thanks, guys. <laughs> all right, well, thanks to Michael and Paul for the amazing memories and for joining me here on the podcast. I hope the listeners can team up with some of their buddies and explore nature for some fantastic photo adventures. Well, it's my favorite time of the podcast where I get to spend some time to thank our amazing patrons, old and new. I could not do this podcast without your incredible support, so thank you so much for your amazing generosity. These incredible people just signed up over on Patreon to support the show. Sean Meehan pledged in at the $5 a month level. Thank you, sir. Kelly Buchelern just pledged at the $20 a month level. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Kelly. You are awesome. Anna Morgan pledged in at the $5 a month level. You're super awesome, Anna. And uh, let's get you over on the podcast sometime. Marianne DeReuter pledged uh, $5 a month. Thank you so much, Marianne. Uh, Tristan McDonald pledged $5 a month. Thank you so much, Tristan. Appreciate it. And Greg Vaughn pledged $5 a month. Uh, thank you so much, and I really enjoy your photographing Oregon book. 
And Matthew Boone pledged in at the $20 a month level. Wow, man, thanks so much for supporting the show in such a strong way. I really appreciate it. Well, if you can't support us on Patreon, another way to support the podcast is to use our B&H affiliate link, which is uh, on our podcast page over on my website at mattpainphotography.com. So check that out if you're in the market to buy a new camera or some lenses or maybe some filters. That's a great way to support the podcast as well. And of course, the best way is to support us on Patreon. It really does help. And we're so, so close to our second goal over there. Just head over to patreon.com slash stop and listen. As always, you can follow us over on Instagram as mattpainphoto or stop and listen. Thanks for listening and see you next week.